So what was the point of South Africa's application at the International Court of Justice? Israel has continued its bombardment and ground offensive against Gaza and with thousands of Palestinians already killed, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu now wants a plan to evacuate civilians from Rafah where more than half of Gaza's population is sheltering with nowhere else to flee. Human rights groups have said an Israeli assault on the packed area would be catastrophic for civilians, stressing it must not be allowed to go forward. Uh, Netanyahu, by the way, has also rejected the possibility of a two-state solution. And now there's a bipartisan bill in the U.S. Congress that wants to review America's relationship with South Africa. Uh, Somebody, of course, uh, who scratches his head once or twice about all of these issues is the Department of International Relations and Cooperation uh, Director General Zane Dango, who joins us now on the line. Appreciate your time this morning. Um, I've outlined the developments since our application at the ICJ. All of this, of course, uh, on top of uh, what we are now told are increased security risks to Minister Pando and even threats to her family. How's she doing? I think the minister is coping, and I think we should just give her the support she needs. It's a very volatile situation, but I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the security services around her will make sure that she's safe and her family safe. All right, let's get into the crux of this then. Uh, the ICJ, as you well know, fell short of the demand for a ceasefire. The Israelis have not relented. Yeah, I think the the ICJ actually did order a ceasefire without using the term ceasefire, and this is not been, this is a very careful reading by most of the best international legal minds globally. Um, the first order actually ordered Israel to abide by Article Two of the Genocide Convention, which includes in the first instance stop the killing. Um, and then the second order immediately after that is an immediate order to the IDF not to contravene any of the measures in the first order, which is essentially stop the killing, stop the destruction of houses. So, you know, if you look, if you look at the analysis um, by ourselves, but also by most international legal order, um, experts, genuinely, this was an order to stop sure. the military operations. And our concern is that this is not being complied with and there's no countermeasures in place. There was never going to be the Israeli reading of it without a categoric yeah. uh, de- declaration for the ceasefire to, uh, to, to be effected. Uh, and so essentially now we find ourselves in a scenario where in fact Benjamin Netanyahu has since declared he does not want a two-state solution. I mean, an independent Palestinian state has never seemed so unattainable. The two-state solution for Netanyahu was never on the cards. Even even Oslo, during the Oslo Accords, um, Netanyahu opposed the idea of a two-state solution. He's always championed himself as the person who will prevent a, a statehood for the Palestinians. Um, and this has been his um, position and supported also by the recent um, people that he's brought into government, like Smotrich and others. So the idea of a two-state solution, as others are saying, you know, should be the solution, has never been um, on the agenda for Prime Minister Netanyahu. So it's not a surprise to us. We've known that for a very long time. Um, what we've also known for a very long time is that the goal was always a, a one-state under apartheid conditions for Netanyahu. One state, two systems. 
um, and, and with either Palestinians either submitting to being under the that kind of conditions under Israel or for them to, to move. Now we've seen they've added in the idea is that if you look at the mass killings, so it's you either go voluntarily or we will force you to go through the kind of destruction that we are wreaking on, on, on Gaza. So, you know, I think the, the discussion on whether Netanyahu always wanted a, a two-state solution is one that should be out, but we, our view and our reading of him over, over a period of time, even since the Oslo Accords, is that he never wanted a two-state solution. Look, let's look at the latest issues now. If the Israelis press on with an offensive against Rafah, the very part of Gaza, Palestinians were initially told to flee to, the consequences are going to be dire. Exactly. I think this is exactly why we went to the ICJs to stop the killing. We, we saw this as an unfolding genocide, and we thought that we needed to use the institutions of global governance to prevent further killing. Um, what we see now is the, you know, the, the almost the safe areas that were supposed to be where Palestinians were to, were to go to is now going to be the next area for mass destruction. Um, we are hoping that either the Security Council will intervene in the next few days. If not, we may have to consider on advice from our legal team um, whether we need to ask for another provisional order um, from the ICJ, but we're waiting for some advice from the legal team on that. I mean, what we're also seeing is the Egyptians on their side of the crossing increasing uh, their military presence to ensure the Palestinians do not cross over. But it's not only in Gaza. There have been attacks on Palestinians even in the West Bank, and there, presumably, uh, the finger towards Hamas cannot be pointed. Yes, you know, the amount of people killed in the West Bank um, and the amount of people in the West Bank that have been arrested without trial is, is staggering. Um, in fact, even before 7th of October, the, the, you know, 2023 was regarded as perhaps the most dangerous year for Palestinians, especially in the West Bank, over the last decade. So we have seen a continuation of killing, but now it's it actually the settler violence is, is, is getting worse. Um, we do see a situation where this idea of forced migration through creating unbearable living conditions is going to continue and it may spread from Gaza into the West Bank. So again, with all of this that we've just discussed in the context that you've outlined, was our action at the ICJ effective? Because as we've discussed, the Israelis have continued to do exactly what Netanyahu, uh, you say, has in fact expressed intentions of doing for some years now. And you mention going to the Security Council where we no doubt can anticipate the U.S. will use its veto vote. Um, what was the point of it all? So the point of it all was to, 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 to assist in stopping the killing. Which we haven't um, done. What, which we... <laughs> the, the stop the killing. It, 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 it's like saying, let's just try and stop mass murder from taking place because it's not, you know, you know it's, it's not worth it. I think it's worth it. Any attempt to save lives is worth it. Um, what we've also done is ensure that we've put... At the center stage, the idea that justice should be done, that the Palestinian, you know, their lives matter and their narrative should be told without being curated by hostile media, um, and, 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 and that the Israelis must account. So they've accounted and they failed to account in that court. 
Um, and we we still do think that this case will continue and accountability will be wrought on them, um, including individual criminal liability through the International Criminal Court. Um, so what we have done is ensured that we attempt to use the institutions of global governance for the purposes that they were set up rather than to use armies and the use of force to stop genocides. Um, what we do want is for Israel's allies and all other countries who believe in international law and the rule of just international law to make them comply with these orders. That is the only way in which Israel is going to comply is if they get the kind of pressure that we're seeing coming onto them now. I think we see a bit of impatience with them now coming from the Biden administration. We see statements from the Canadians and others saying that perhaps Rafa is um, a step too far. And we've been saying that it's all been a step too far since October the 7th. What do you say to critics who say, even if one agrees with the intentions behind our actions, that it was a miscalculation in terms of real politic, uh, that it has come to a cost to us with very little achieved in the sense of saving Palestinian lives. I mean, now there's a bipartisan bill in Congress for Washington to review its relationship with Pretoria, and that could have all sorts of consequences. Are you concerned about that? We are concerned about it, but we're also going to have to take this on politically. That bill is being produced by two freshman congressmen. Of course, they're from both sides of the aisle, but we don't think that it's going to get the traction of many, many other congresspeople. It's a very poorly written draft bill. I don't know if you've read it. It's very poorly written, a lot of innuendo, a lot of groups. Um, and we don't think that this is the kind of bill that will go through Congress or the Senate. But we do need to engage with the fact that why would you want to punish a country that seeks to stop mass, mass deaths when you, in fact, give the green light for mass deaths through selling the arms to the actual genocide country? If I may interrupt you there, of, yeah, if I may yeah. interrupt you, I mean, I, 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 get, I get the points you're making, but in an election year, where emotions are likely to be high, where people will appeal to their bases. Uh, perhaps in any other year, I might take your point about these uh, freshman uh, um, uh, congressmen, but in an election year, this kind of thing might gain traction, not least because the examples it gives from our closeness to Russia, I mean, even the Lady R debacle is mentioned, to joint naval exercises with China and Russia, and it's saying that we're actively working against the U.S. national interest. In an election year, that's the kind of thing that can get some traction. So I suppose it is an election year, so you are going to find these kind of polls um, coming to the fore. But, Bongani, we can't be saying to people facing you know, extermination that just wait until the U.S. election is over or until our election is over and then we'll take some action. I think our duty is to see there's an international wrongful act taking place we need to use the avenues available to the international community to stop that. Um, we will have to deal with the repercussions of this in the sense that we are doing the right thing. We are challenging the notion of what is right and wrong in the international community. And there's obviously going to be some payback from some, um, but we will engage with that. I think in the end, um, people will see that what South Africa has done is the correct stance. And I can tell you now already that we're getting support from us inside Washington, D.C., from inside the State Department. We're getting support from diplomats in the EU, from across Europe, 
They may not be able to do this publicly because of the kind of political pressure that they're under, but we're getting that support. And I think that level of support will cascade into the political space as well, not just from the official professional space. Zane Dango, appreciate your time. The Department of International Relations and Cooperation, Director General.